Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. I'm Ricardo de Silva, Associate Editor at America Media. I'll be standing in for Colleen as your host today. She's mid-air right now, returning from the Synod. Each week, we take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation on the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week's Synod concludes its discussion and is expected to vote on the summary document of its work to present to Pope Francis and the whole Church. This is a time of active waiting. The Synod on Synodality is in its final days. We're recording this episode on October 25th, shortly after the Synod has just released what it called a letter of the Synod of Bishops to the people of God. We take a first look at this brief letter. Pope Francis had a 20-minute phone call with U.S. President Biden this weekend. It was the Pope who requested the call. And President Joe Biden in talks with Pope Francis. The White House announced yesterday that the president talked to the Pope about the latest developments in Israel and Gaza. The Pope uh, and I are on the same page. Pope Francis has again called for an end to the ongoing war in Israel and Gaza, for hostages to be released by Hamas, and for aid to be allowed to enter Gaza. I'm Ricardo de Silva, and this is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New York, Jerry. Good evening from Rome, Ricardo. It's good to be with you again. Yes, it is. Colleen was here and it was great to have her. And now it's good to have you. And I've just been with the pilgrims who have come with America Media to Rome. That's right. We have an America Media pilgrimage to Rome and Assisi happening at the same time as the Synod on Synodality. I'm really happy that the pilgrims had a chance to meet you and to talk with you and that you were able to interact with our listeners. I look forward to hearing more about that. And we're going to get into this letter to the people of God from the Synod of Bishops. But before that, a few words from our sponsors. There's no better time to tell you about an upcoming conference at the University of San Diego that will explore what it means to be a Catholic college or university today. It's called Lighting the Way Forward, and it'll look at timely topics like climate change, structural racism, polarization, and lack of trust in institutions. They're asking really honest questions that affect us all, just like the Synod. The conference will take place from January 11th to 13th, 2024. The speaker lineup is amazing. Cardinal Robert McElroy, a frequent writer in America, Vincentian Father Dennis Holtscheider, who is the president of the Association of Catholic Colleges and Universities, and our friend and colleague Gloria Purvis, host of the Gloria Purvis podcast. For the complete lineup and to register for the Lighting the Way conference, visit their website at sandiego.edu forward slash lighting. That's sandiego.edu forward slash L-I-G-H-T-I. NG. 
Are you an animal lover, musician, mother, daughter? If you are, or someone you love is, Saints for Sinners has a unique medallion for you. Each saint's medallion is one of a kind and beautifully handcrafted in New Orleans. Saints for Sinners medallions make great gifts for any occasion, speak to everyone's experiences and passions, and offer you and loved ones a wearable reminder of your saint's guidance, perspective, comfort, and most of all, hope. Each medallion is imported from Italy and hand-painted in New Orleans, and you can buy them at saintsforsinners.com. Who's your saint? Take the quiz and find out at saintsforsinners.com. Take the quiz and get a new suggestion. So, Jerry, we're nearing the very end of the Synod. The main discussions of the Synod have been concluded. And now we're beginning to see some feedback uh, to the people of God from what has been going on during this month. So those of us who have not been in Rome are finally getting to see with synod eyes what has been happening inside that room. This first letter is a letter to the people of God. It's really a covering letter because we're expecting also a synthesis uh, coming through on Saturday evening, which will get into we're hoping, much more of the meat of the discussion, uh, where there was agreement, where there were points of difference between Synod delegates, and the questions that they're hoping will be enlarged upon and discussed and studied during the 11 months that ensue between the close of this Synod session and the next Synod session in October. This letter is very brief. It's barely three pages. It's a pretty simple letter. So let me just highlight a few things that occur to me on a first reading of this letter. First of all, it starts, dear sisters, dear brothers. Then it retells the experience of the past month. So it situates us in the Synod Hall, saying that the Synod delegates used the conversations in the spirit method, that there was silence in the room, which fostered mutual listening, and specifically mentions the enrichment of voices across the Catholic Church, the Latin Church, and the Eastern Churches, and how their voices met in the Synod Hall. We are told the assembly took place in the context of a world in crisis, aware that there are victims of deadly violence, migrants, the cries of the poor, and the earth, and specific mention is made of racism. The experience was not one of ideology, the letter says, and quote, day by day we felt the pressing call to pastoral and missionary conversion. End quote. It also centers the importance of listening to everyone, and it enumerates some of these people, lay people, catechists, families, the poor, and victims of abuse. And then there's also a focus on greater involvement for ordained ministers. Quote, to progress further in synodal discernment, the church particularly needs to gather even more the words and experience of the ordained ministers, priests, the primary collaborators of the bishops, whose sacramental ministry is indispensable for the life of the whole body, and deacons, who through their ministry signify the care of the entire church for the most vulnerable. And it underscored again toward the end of the letter, to progress in its discernment, quote, the church absolutely needs to listen to everyone, starting with the poorest. So it's a nice letter. But there's not much to it, as far as I can tell, that we didn't already know, that hasn't already been spoken in the Synod. What occurred to you as you were reading through the letter, Jerry? 
Yes, I, I kind of summarized the letter in two sentences. One, it's uh, announcing the Senate is drawing to a close, the first session. Secondly, it's telling them that now we're passing the ball to you at the parochial level, at the diocesan level, in the religious communities, in the various uh, communities around the world, for you to look at this synthesis document. And the synthesis document is the fruit of these four weeks' discussion, and where they point out what are the points of agreement, the convergences. Secondly, it will highlight the divergences, where there was division of opinion, disagreement among the members at the Senate, and it will say, well, you now can have your say on this too. And then it will come up with the questions, and I understand make some proposals. Probably the proposals will be work for theologians, maybe work for canon lawyers, maybe work for other people. I'm struck in this also, Ricardo, a third point, that it draws attention to the pastors, the parish priests, uh, the people working in the parish, and the deacons. Because I, I've spoken to several people at the Synod, Ricardo, and they said there don't seem to be any parish priests, priests who are running actual parishes. So this is a call to these people, because in a way, some of the feedback from the consultations around the world seemed to suggest that the priests didn't get as involved as they should in this transforming event that is happening in the church of the 21st century. And that comment came in the press conference this morning. Archbishop Timothy Broglio, I think, mentioned that parish priests had not been included. Also then, in that context, there were some questions back and forth around the U.S. bishops' promotion of the synod in their own conversations and how important it is for bishops to buy into the synod so that the people of God can then weigh in with their opinions. And we know that that's been a particular question here in the U.S. Indeed, Ricardo. And this is one of the questions. I've spoken to delegates from many different countries, and they say, you know, we're going back now, but what's our task when we go back? We've participated in the synod. We've had this really extraordinary experience, and some of them say unprecedented synodal experience. And so you have how many bishops from the United States? Maybe seven, eight, maybe nine bishops from the United States. They will be expected to feed back not just to the bishops' conference, but also to their own diocese. And you have two young delegates from the United States, and you have other people from the United States, and they will be expected to share that with the communities in the United States in the next 11 months. We'll get into the discussion of the next 11 months, because I thought that it was an interesting oversight in this letter, that it doesn't actually talk about you know, what happens now, what happens beyond the Synod. But let's stay on the letter. Do we know who drafted this letter? Do we have a sense of how the letter came about? We don't have definite information. But some people think that the idea for the letter actually came from the Pope himself. It was drafted by a small group of people, I think, organized by the Secretariat of the Synod. The idea of the letter was came as a surprise to everybody. And then they were presented with a draft of it, and they applauded. And so it was said from the one sharing the meeting, oh, well, that means it's approved, and that wasn't so. Yeah, let's just contextualize that a little bit for our listeners, because you know, you're, you're there, so you know what happened. But in the Synod Hall, the letter was presented to delegates. Delegates had found out that they were going to receive this letter, and they thought that they would vote on the letter. But in fact, what happened was the letter was presented, and at the end of the reading of the letter, there was something like 
if you agree with the contents of this letter, we will know by your applause. Your applause will signal approval. And so there was general applause in the Senate Hall, and with that, the letter was approved. But that met with some frustration and even anger on the part of some. There was still an opportunity to submit corrections to the letter, which delegates then submitted. And once they submitted that, they received a new draft of the letter. And now we know, because the Synod Secretariat apologized for the oversight of that, we now know that this letter, as it has now been released, each Synod member of those who could vote, voted and approved this final draft of the letter. Yes, the, the, the letter is simple. As I said, you can put it in two, three sentences. It's saying the Synod finished. It's saying now it's being passed to you, but it's coming with a package and the package hasn't yet been delivered. The thinking among the Secretariat we know is they wanted to really devote time to discussion and voting on the synthesis document, which is a much more substantive piece that's coming out of the Synod that we will have for our reflection going forward. And this is really, as I already said at the beginning of the show, a covering letter. This is a way to prepare us for what we're about to receive. In that light, Jerry, what do you think is the value of having this letter then without the synthesis document? I think this is an advice note, an alert saying, attention, we're near the end of our work and we're going to send you a package and watch out for it. I, I think it's as simple as that, Ricardo. It's addressed to the people of God. Who's that? Everybody in the parishes, everybody in the diocese, everybody who professes to be a believer. So it, it's a very wide audience. And it's just saying, you know, there's something else coming. Stand by. Stand by. That's a good word. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about some of the finer points of the letter and maybe something of what we can read in these points that we might see in the final synthesis that we're getting from this session. Welcome back. Before we continue looking at the letter to the people of God, let's hear from our sponsor this week. Are you an animal lover, musician, mother, daughter? If you are, or someone you love is, Saints for Sinners has a unique medallion for you. Each saint's medallion is one of a kind and beautifully handcrafted in New Orleans. Saints for Sinners medallions make great gifts for any occasion speak to everyone's experiences and passions, and offer you and loved ones a wearable reminder of your saint's guidance, perspective, comfort, and most of all, the hope your saint can bring to your life. Each medallion is imported from Italy and hand-painted in New Orleans, and you can buy them at saintsforsinners.com. Who's your saint? Take the quiz and find out at saintsforsinners.com. Take the quiz and get a new suggestion. And now back to our conversation with Jerry. Jerry, so just before the break, we were getting into some more of the detail of this letter. One of the things that struck me specifically was the mention of racism, right? That the letter specifically mentions racism. We don't always see mention of racism in Vatican documents. What, what do you think raised that? Well, I think it's interesting because it calls for listening to people who are victims of racism in all its forms, in particular in some regions to indigenous peoples 
whose cultures have been scorned. Obviously, this is you know not coming from Western Europe. It, it would have relevance, I think, in some parts of Asia, some parts of Africa, maybe Canada. Yeah, North America and Australia as well. And North America and Australia, absolutely. There's obviously sensitivity there. And then it also mentions very specifically migration right across the board from what I've learned from participants. This is one of the great crises of the 21st century. And then there's, of course, the question it also mentions about listening to the cries of the earth and the poor. And that is... Of course, listening to the cries of the earth harks back to the encyclical of Pope Francis on our common home, Laudato Si, and his follow-up document. And the rumor here is, and I think it's going to happen, that the Pope will go to Dubai for the COP28. This hasn't been announced by the Vatican, but I see from press in the United Arab Emirates, they're talking about the participation of the Pope and the Grand Imam of Al-Azhar. And that's at the end of this next month, at the end of November. That's at the end of November, beginning of December. The Vatican hasn't said anything yet, but I would put my money on it. So this letter is just giving us a hint that something like this will come. Yeah, I was really hoping that some of those more dramatic stories would be alluded to in this letter or, or contained in this letter. We heard about the young woman who died by suicide and how that led bishops to weep in the Synod Hall. I thought that maybe some of that color could have been included in this letter, but hopefully we'll see that in the synthesis. Well, well Ricardo, it's a question. Are you going to write a long letter or a short letter? And so the, the, the message, as I said, it's really an advice notice, an alert notice. Yeah, I take it as a breaking news notification to the people of God that something else is coming. And I'm holding out that something which is truly substantial, which will truly feed the desires of the people of God since October 10th, 2021, when we embarked upon this process, that will really feed us going forward into the next 11 months that lead into the Synod. This is a midway stage. So nobody expected real substantial concrete results from this one. So let's not put too much weight on the expectations, but we, we know there's a second half to play. And so th these 11 months will be like the break between the two halves. I do want to talk about one thing that it raises, because we've heard this over and over in different ways throughout the Synod, the importance of formation. Right? And it specifically mentions the involvement of ordained ministers and perhaps how ordained ministers, in other words, priests, bishops, deacons, have not been as embedded and involved and committed to this process of synodality or conversation in the spirit. But it also talks about you know, catechists and the importance of formation there. So what do we know about this discussion around formation? Because it comes up in different ways every single week right, in the communion phase, in the participation phase, in the mission phase, it keeps coming up. What are we hearing from the Synod about this? It's very clear that it's recognized that there's a great need for formation because one of the failures or the weaknesses of the church at this moment in history is the failure to transmit the faith from one generation to the next, to explain what the faith involves. And so uh, Francis is calling for uh, a relook at how this is done. From what I've heard, they speak about formation in the seminaries, but also throughout the church, in the parishes, among the catechists, among the whole category of those who are meant to be active. This is a call to responsibility, but you can't do the job unless you have some kind of formation as well. 
And it specifically mentions hearing the voices of victims of abuse and how important that that has been. And we've heard that over and over, and we know that there was a call for the voices of abuse victims to be heard specifically at the Synod. Let's look at the days to come. What are we expecting now that the letter to the people of God has been released? What are we expecting to the end of the Synod? Well, already this morning they received the sentence document, which was about 40 pages, I was told. So it's quite substantial. So some people said, well, we've glanced through it quickly. Now we'll look at it more in substance in the afternoon. Originally, they had Friday free. The only thing was a prayer service in the afternoon for peace in the evening. Now I've been told that they have a working session on Friday morning. So it means that they're going to be giving quite some substantial look at this document, which is, I'm told, quite theological in many ways. I expect it will be reduced down because uh, some people said a good editor, we've got a lot of them in America, could help this document because it's got also to be readable, not repetitive. And it's going to be in modern language because one of the tasks of the Synod at the beginning, one of the things identified was for the church to be able to express itself in language that people can understand, not in ecclesiastical jargon or in a kind of sophisticated theological terminology that that ordinary people can't access. And this synod has been pretty successful on the language situation, right? I mean, other than the title itself, Synod on Synodality, which is a mouthful, I think they've worked really hard to simplify the language. In the letter, though, there's a section quoted by Pope Francis, and so the letter reads thus. As the Pope reminded us at the beginning of this process, communion and mission can risk remaining somewhat abstract unless we cultivate an ecclesial praxis that expresses the concreteness of synodality, encouraging real involvement on the part of each and all. We're still a little bit stuck in the language of theology that can be confusing to the ordinary people of God in a letter written for the people of God. Yes, I, I agree with you. But, you know, Ricardo, this is a work in progress. As several people have said to me, don't look for a polished document. That's maybe a good place to leave it, right? We will certainly be looking at the synthesis document, and then maybe we can read the synthesis document in concert with the letter to the people of God and see what conclusions we can draw from there. We're expecting that on Saturday evening. The rest of the week, the Synod delegates will dedicate to discussion of the synthesis document, and then they will vote on the synthesis document, all those eligible laymen, laywomen, bishops, priests, religious, everybody in the Synod Hall that has voting rights will vote on it on Saturday afternoon, and hopefully that will be released on Saturday evening. Jerry, this letter mentions the crises in the world. And we, of course, could not end our show without speaking about the very real crisis alive at the moment in Israel and Gaza. Pope Francis, again this morning, October 25th, said this ongoing war needs to come to an end. He's asked for the release of hostages being held by Hamas. And he has also called again for humanitarian corridors. What else do we know? Well, the question of the hostages, we know that four out of 222 have been released. There's a big discussion in the United Nations, and the Secretary General of the United Nations, Antonio Guterres, yesterday gave a very strong speech where he condemned the attack on Israel, but also the total breach of international law by the bombing in Gaza, where 6,000 people have almost been killed now, and one-third of them children. This is terrible. Oxfam today has criticized it as starvation, as a policy of war. 
500 trucks a day, a day went in before the war. 45 trucks have gone now in three days. Pope Francis has every Sunday, every Wednesday, he's called for a stop to the war. And he picked up the phone last Sunday and talked to Joe Biden. Yeah, let's talk about that. So Pope Francis called President Biden on Sunday, and we are told they discussed the war. We didn't get much detail. It's quite telegraphic. What do we know about it? What we know is that they discussed, and the, the printout from the White House actually gave more information than the printout from the Vatican. They discussed the crisis, the war in Gaza, the humanitarian crisis, the need for aid to get in, the need for all the hostages to be released, and the need for a ceasefire. The Pope wants a stop to the fighting. You know, Ricardo, when the Second Vatican Council opened in 1962 on the 11th of October, on the 16th of October, the Cuban Missile Crisis started. On the 25th of October, which is the day we were doing the recording, on the 25th of October 1962, John Twenty-Third made a radio broadcast from the Vatican Radio calling for peace, and he sent a letter to Nikita Khrushchev asking him to pull back the missiles for the love of your own people and for the love of humanity. And he said, if you do it, you will be remembered in history. It is striking, Ricardo, that the Synod is the implementation, the follow-up of Vatican II, and the Synod opened on the 4th of October. On the 7th of October, Hamas invaded Israel, and the war, now in its 18th day, started on the 7th of October. On the 22nd of October, Pope Francis spoke with Joe Biden, President of the United States, and they talked, as we have just said. It's very striking that two major events in the history of the Church, Second Vatican Council, and now the big event that's implementing it in a fuller way, should be taking place in the midst of what the letter calls the context of a world in crisis. Thank you, Jerry. We can always count on you for the historical analysis, not just you know what's happening in this day, modern day, but also how this relates to the history of the church. If I can be personal for a second, your wife is still in Israel. How is she doing? Well, she's been there for almost since the 9th of October, and I hope she's booked a flight to return on Friday night, but it's been difficult. She's spoken about the real escalation of hate, of anger, of suffering, of traumatic experience. There's suffering on both sides, and there is warmongering too, and there is this spirit of vendetta. Yeah, it's really devastating to hear. You are sowing the seeds of hatred for another 50 years. Jerry, on that note, Pope Francis has called for a day of prayer for peace on October 27th, this Friday, and we have been asked to fast, to pray. So I hope that this can truly be a moment for us as the Catholic community to pause and reflect on the wars that are taking place all over the world and to truly pray for a lasting peace and that the work of the Synod might come to fruition as well. The Pope has invited not just the Catholics, but other Christian churches and the followers of other religions. And I understand that, in fact, that the followers of other religions are buying in, each in their own way. As Francis says, if you don't pray, you send good vibes. But I, I think this is a thing that is strongly felt across the world. These are urgent times. The Church is called to read the sign of the times. 
Thank you for helping us to read what is happening in the church and in the world at this time. And I'm sure that next week, once we have the synthesis in our hands, we'll have so much more to discuss. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you, Ricardo. And just as we were coming to the end of our recording about the letter to the people of God, we received notification from the Holy See press office that Pope Francis had made a special intervention at the Synod Assembly that met this afternoon. We believe that this was during the session where Synod members are now discussing the 40-page synthesis document that we will be receiving on Saturday. But Pope Francis has made a very strong intervention, decrying institutionalized clericalism and recognizing the faith of the people of God. And this is a two-page long intervention, so we're not able to translate all of it immediately. Here's what Pope Francis said. Quote, clericalism is a whip, it is a scourge, it is a form of worldliness that tarnishes and damages the face of the Lord's spouse. It enslaves the holy faithful people of God. End quote. And then he went on saying, And the people of God, the holy faithful people of God, continue forward with patience and humility, enduring the disdain, mistreatment, and marginalization from institutionalized clericalism. How naturally we speak of the princes of the church or of episcopal promotions as career advancements. The horrors of the world, the worldliness that mistreats the holy, faithful people of God. End quote. So as we can hear, the Pope is clearly responding to something that has happened at this stage in the Synod. We don't know the context for that now but we wanted to share it with you because it happened as we were concluding our recording. As soon as we have more context for it, we will certainly be reporting on that at americamagazine.org. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This episode was produced by me and Sebastian Gomes. Production assistance from Michael O'Brien and Delaney Coyne. Kevin Christopher Robles is also our audio engineer. To keep up with the latest news out of the Vatican, please follow us on X, formerly Twitter, at INSDE Vatican Pod. That's inside, without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can also follow me on Instagram or X at RickDSSJ. That's R I C D S S J. And you can follow Jerry on X at Jerry O Rome. That's G E R R Y O R O M E please also consider becoming a digital subscriber to America Magazine. Just click the link in our show notes. It's easy to do and the best way to support our work here on Inside the Vatican. And if you have a little time to spare, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Ricardo De Silva. We'll see you very soon. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.